Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners Podcast. I'm very excited to be reunited with my lovely co-host, Walter Cietis Fedchuk, uh, having just gone back from uh, a trip up north. Walter, how you doing, buddy? I am doing very well. I have, uh, I have successfully returned from the Great White North, uh, for anyone who doesn't understand Canada's uh, nickname among us, uh, among us colonialists down here. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, one of my partner and I's goals when we actually first started dating was that we had a love of wanting to travel and we really wanted to travel. And I just, in my life, um, have not traveled all that much um, outside of the United States. And most of my traveling has usually been uh, trips across the country to move. Um, so with the borders and, and traveling opening back up back at the you know quarter, sort of beginning of 2022, we made a list of um, places we would like to visit. And that's why I went to Boston, you know, earlier in the year. And that's why then we went to Montreal uh, because I I had a passport and I've never used it. I The last time I was out of the country, I think I was like 16 and it was to go to a, uh, a Boy Scout, an international jamboree just outside of Toronto. And back in those days, back in 2008, 2007, uh, if you were under the age of 18, all you needed was a birth certificate and a letter from your parents to go across the border. So it was, it was, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know you could get away with that. That's pretty, that's actually kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was back in the day. And I I remember even when I was much younger, I had gone to the same international jamboree. I want to say I was probably like 13, 12 or 13. And yeah, it was the same thing that the scout leader just needed a copy of your birth certificate and a letter. Um, that's not how things work nowadays. Um, but yeah, everything about the trip, I, I was telling Chase in pre-call, we, we walked probably about 30 miles uh, over the course of three days and, and saw a bunch of uh, really nice green area, green spaces and parks and ended it with a trip to the Ikea and then uh, the uh, Eco Museum <laughs> Zoo, which is basically a, a province of Quebec only zoo they just pick animals that sort of live in the natural areas of quebec and i saw river otters to end the trip and i was very very happy and my partner bought me a stuffed river otter otter that is now sitting on my desk so it was a very very nice trip uh and i'm I'm glad to be back in the u.s i'm glad to be talking with you chase what about you how how has your past week or two been you know, it's been pretty good. Uh, I The big thing that I guess is fun to share is that I went to a Dreamcatcher concert, which I haven't been to a concert, like a big concert, since pre-pandemic. Uh, and it turns out uh, those K-pop girls, uh, still really talented, really fun. Um, and I will say, of all the K-pop groups that I could possibly show you, Walter, I think Dreamcatcher would be the one you would have the most interest in because they are very rock inspired. Even like their like first couple albums have some metal influence in there too. Um, so they're just really good performers, uh, put on a great show. It was great to see the crowd go all in. You know, they were very cute. My favorite member of the group, Dami, made a point about how, oh, I thought because of the pandemic, people might forget about us, but this is the largest crowd we've had. And it's, you know, it's so great. And I'm like, yeah, you did it. Well done, girls. Happy for you. Dreamcatcher, great. Their last album, absolutely worth listening to if you haven't already. But you know what, Walter? This is not a K-pop podcast, and it's not a travel podcast either. It is a gaming podcast, and what you and I talk about games that we have played uh, over the last two weeks, in theory. Um, 
But I, I feel like, at least for me, uh, this has been uh, a, more of a, a long time coming. But, I, you know, if, if I remember pre-call correctly, Walter, you're, you played a kind of little-known uh, indie darling, right? This kind of sleeper pick that most of our audience probably won't be aware about. So why don't you uh, take the floor and tell us what you've been up to? Yeah, so I played a game called K-Pop Girls Travel the World. And it's a visual novel about K-Pop girls traveling around the world. No, no, not I really. That game. Oh <laughs> man, how, how can you get my hopes up like that? <laughs> well, you said we aren't a travel or a K-pop podcast, so I figured I'd just like mm. throw everything on its head. Uh, no. So actually, <laughs> for for today's episode, I had a game in mind. I had a game that was on my Steam library list. It's been on there for a while. It just came out of early access uh, a, a few weeks ago, if I remember correctly. And I downloaded it. I was all ready to play. I was like, cool. I got a. I got plenty of time to put into it. It's gonna be great. And I played, I played a couple hours of it, and I'm still going to keep playing it, and we'll talk about it at another time. But Chase, a, a few months ago I had been talking with some friends about, you know, what kind of multiplayer games we could play together. Obviously, you know, uh, League of Legends has sort of lost some of its lore, and, and just between, you know, different friend groups have been coming up with options of things to play. You know, do we play Heroes of the Storm? Ha, that's funny, as if I'd give Blizzard <laughs> any more of my time. Uh, would we play something like Valorant or, or Counter-Strike? Or would we play, you know, Divinity 2, Original Sin? Or or would we play uh, Sea of Thieves or, or No Man's Sky or all of these things? And, and a game was brought up that I have not thought about in a while that has existed for a very long time, but I hadn't thought about playing for a while. So I went to see if I could log into it. And I couldn't. I couldn't figure out how to log into it. So I sent, you know, the old, give me, you know, send me a password reset. I'll just reset my password. We'll be good to go. And the password reset wouldn't work. So I went into the company's support forums and I opened up a support ticket and they, they asked me all this information, you know, what was the email you, you bought, you know, you bought the copy with, when did you, when did you buy it? I bought it back in 2012. You know, all this different information so they could help me recover my account. And they basically said, oh, yeah, your account, the email, like primary email had been changed on that. Like, we'll, we'll verify it and we'll send you a reset, you know, a uh, password reset link. And this process took like two and a half weeks just because I'd get the emails back from them and I wouldn't respond right away and so on and so forth. So two weeks ago, I finally got my password reset. I opened the account, I logged into the website, and I downloaded Minecraft for probably the first time since 2014. I forgot how fun Minecraft was. How fun just the initial thrill of loading into a map with absolutely nothing, with no goals, with no objectives, with nothing other than, hey, Go whack that tree with your fists until the blocks break. And then you can build something with that. And just that, that opening moment reminded me of when I was young, when I was younger than I am now, back in 2012, and I was playing League and Minecraft on the $350 laptop that I had bought for my you know, first couple of semesters of college. And it was just a nostalgia factor that I feel like has been missing in my life for quite some time. I mean, first of all, Minecraft has persisted for uh, a good reason. I, I think that that feeling that you you captured uh, this whole 
just loading into a world and seeing this expanse and knowing you could shape it how you will uh, is something that uh, has just such a long-standing appeal. There's a reason this game still exists and is as popular as it is. Now, I, I, I almost don't even want to like get into the basics of how this game works because it's Minecraft. I feel like if you're listening to a gaming podcast in 2022, you've probably heard how that whole Minecraft game works. So I, I want to get maybe a little bit more uh, personally focused for a moment because you said you were playing with friends. So what was your goal with your friends? Did you start with your friends? Was this like you got the world running and then invited people to join you? What was your strategy? So, so here's the thing. I didn't even play with friends. I didn't even play with any of my friends. I was playing I was playing by myself or I was playing in a, in a Discord call with them, but they were playing other things. They were playing WoW or, or, or whatever else. And it's just that it, it, had been, it had been brought up and it was a game, obviously... I, I know Minecraft exists. Everybody knows Minecraft exists. It's existed for so long. There are children today that were not born when Minecraft came out, when I was playing Minecraft, that play Minecraft today. That's how long this game has existed and, is, and has been this massive cultural phenomenon. Um, but no, it was just, just even talking with people and saying, hey, we could play Minecraft and just got that that bug kind of in my head and uh, I, I greatly enjoy watching call me Kevin, the, the YouTube uh, personality. And he does a lot of Minecraft videos and it just sort of kind of existed in the back of my head. And I finally took the initiative to be like, I wonder if I could still log into my old account or if I'd have to buy the game again. And I would say if I couldn't have logged into my old account and, and had a copy of the game, I don't think I would have spent the $30 to buy a new copy. I think I would have found that sort of crafting sandbox itch from from somewhere else. I might have played Terraria, which with the Steam Summer Sale, I think was like $2 or whatever. I might have played, uh, you know, Rust or, or something else to sort of craft, get that itch. But there was something about Minecraft in particular. Like I said earlier, that sort of nostalgia factor of coming in and just reminiscing about playing with a wired mouse plugged into this cheap Walmart laptop, you know, lying on, on the floor in my parents' house or lying in, you know, on the floor in my dorm room or whatever. It, it just, it kind of bit me. And just for the last two weeks, I've, I've done the Minecraft thing. I dug a hole. I put a door on the front of this little hill and I said, hey, this is my house and I'm just going to start collecting supplies and you know by now here we are you know 10 plus years later since I, I i initially started playing it and there's all of these more you know additional resource blocks and andorite and diorite and granite and, and all these things that just didn't exist back then and as i was collecting it i sort of thought about hey what do i want to do and while i was collecting all of these materials i started collecting these animals and I don't know, if you've played Minecraft, you know how loud the animals can be, especially when you get a large number of them in a small little area right next to your bed. And I just decided, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Before I even build a real house for myself, I'm going to build this giant-ass barn so I can put all these animals in. They'll be nice and safe there. And then I can build my house away from them, and I never have to listen to their bleeding or their crowing or anything like that again. <laughs> Uh, and I built this giant ass barn and I was so proud of it. I was, I had to go get my partner 
and I, I brought her upstairs when I was done. I was like, look, look at the thing I made in Minecraft. And it's, it's not fancy. I didn't do anything incredible with it. I didn't go look online for some, you know, schematic of how to do anything crazy. I just built a, like, 40 by 20, you know, uh, and, and, like, 10 tiles tall, you know, rectangle. And I put, like, a little bit of a pitched roof on it. And I was like, see? See what I did? I, I built this. And it... <laughs> It felt like a little, like being a little kid with Legos again. And I really think that is, that is the allure that Minecraft has for literally everyone is that instead of having to spend $200 on a Lego set every, you know, month or whatever to keep it fresh, you spend 30 bucks once and you can, you can play with Legos, you can play with blocks to your heart's content and you can build anything you want. And you know what? If you want to use the console commands and give yourself, you know, a whole bunch of diamonds so you don't have to have to deal with the, the slowness of a wood pickaxe, you can absolutely do that. That is entirely the right way to play this. It is, it is the sandbox to end all sandboxes. It, it, is, it is the grandfather and it is... It's the alpha and the omega. It is... Ultimately, I think probably the only game that really does this open world sandbox, do whatever you want as perfectly as it can. And it just was so much fun and so nostalgic to just sit back and just go. There's just something really special about how much it gets to the pure base of what it is that people who play Minecraft are looking for, right? They just want to have this world that they can interact with however they want and build the things that they want to build and show it to their friends, as you showed to your partner. And there's nothing in the way of that. There's nothing superfluous within Minecraft that does not add to your ability to build something or to accomplish some greater goal. You know, even like some of the boss creatures that have been added over time, right? Like, you don't think of mine you don't think of combat necessarily as the first thing that pops up when you think about Minecraft, but you can however you want to engage with the game, it's there and the rest of it is just stripped aside to focus on that core experience. And there's something very special about that. Um even as someone who uh and I guess maybe this is my uh uh gaming confession, so to speak, um I don't I, I, I've never really gotten into Minecraft because I am the kind of person who needs an objective. I need to be pointed where to go, and I need to be told that I accomplished a thing when I did the thing that I was meant to do, which Minecraft is just, that's not what it's about. But regardless, I can tell, and I understand from seeing all these amazing things that people can build, um, why people love it, because it is just the perfectly distilled version of Here's a Lego set with all of... It's, it's every Lego set. You can build whatever it is you want to build, and the game will facilitate that. Walter, what's the coolest thing you built over your time with the game? What's the thing you're, like, most excited about <laughs> uh, of all the things that you got to work on? Uh, well, uh, I, I only built that barn. That, and, and this playthrough, that, that's the only thing that I have built, is, is that barn. 
Um, and I think part of it is just because I had I had spent so much time just collecting the materials, just sitting in the barn, you know, sitting in the mines and, and looking around. And I, I spent a lot of time trying to find things. I, I will say I did spend, you know, a bunch of time being like, hey, I want to find diamond. I want to find iron. I never found, I, I haven't found diamond yet. Uh, but, you know, I found some iron and, and whatever. And I would say part of my problem with sort of, building anything crazy or doing anything too crazy was that the, the starting the seed that i got i'm basically on an island and there's not much on the island there was some some trees that as you chop them down you get saplings and you, you know you do more there were some animals on it but the island it, it's not it's not huge um it's pretty it's relatively small i'd say for minecraft standards there's no villages nearby or anything like that and instead i just kind of was like hey i'm happy to be on this island and it, it probably took me probably like 10 to 12 hours before I finally was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Um, there's pigs on this island. I can't draw the pigs in and I can't, you know, populate more pigs without carrots. Well, there's no carrots anywhere here on the island. There's no carrot seeds. There's nothing. So you know what? I'm just going to give myself like, 16 carrots i'll plant a few of them and i'll just draw the pigs in and i'll pet them in and i'll go from there and then i i still haven't cheated that hard but like as i was building the the barn if i needed more wood planks i'm like well yeah i could just go over and chop down a bunch of trees and get more wood planks but i'll just give myself a whole another stack of wood planks so i can continue doing what i want to do right now which is build this barn build this building um I would say historically in my Minecraft career, um, trying to to remember way back in the day, um, there was a there was a mod that was like a factory mod, and I, I know it still exists to this day. I actually downloaded it, and I just haven't played with it yet. Um, where you could you could build these automatic miners that you know would mine either a one you know just a one block straight down, or this sixty four by sixty four. Uh, you know, all the way down to bedrock section and it would just collect all of those items. And there were, there were pipes and, and fluid mechanics because there was oil out there because you had to power everything. And, and I remember building these very elaborate satisfactory esque, um, you know, factories to, to mine all these materials, to sort them and to move them to where, you know, I could store them. And then as I was building, you know, a large palace or I was building a, a, you know, replica of a mountain or anything, I could just be like, oh, I need a whole bunch of this block. Well, I know they're in this, um, this particular area of the factory. So I'll go to that chest and I'll grab all this cobblestone that I need. Or, well, I know that I needed a whole, uh, you know, I know I have a whole bunch of cobblestone. Well, really what I want is stone brick. So I'm going to move all that cobblestone through the piping system into a chest. And then from that chest, I'll start diverting some of it into furnaces and then I'll turn it into stone. And then from there I can move it into a dissembler that'll take the stone and turn it into the stone bricks that I want. And then I'll go collect the stone bricks. So I would say I played these last, I probably played close to 30 hours or so, you know, recently in the last, you know, few weeks um, before talking about it today, I'd say, I really kind of hamstrung myself. I didn't use any mods. I, I, I cheated 
as little as possible in terms of like giving myself stuff I didn't have access to. But ultimately, I wanted just that very, very early kind of simple Minecraft experience of you go out, you knock down a few trees, and then night begins to fall. And you panic, and you dig yourself a little hole in the ground, and you say, okay, well, I'm going to hide down here. Well, while it's nighttime outside, I guess I'm going to start digging down and see if I can find anything. And, and then you dig down, and you dig down, and you dig down, and you dig down for a few more hours. And then you're like, oh, I should probably see if, if it's sunny on the surface now. And by then, you've probably gone through three or four day-night you know, day cycles. And you go up, and you're like, oh, it's sunny. Well, that's great. I ran out of wood. Like, let me get more wood. And... Again, there, you, you said it best. There's something pure about it. There is something so pure about just starting Minecraft or, or re, you know, starting a new file or whatever that is, is just so hard to beat. And then you can decide what you want to do with it. You can decide, okay, well, I know there's a story and a progression system and all that jazz, so let me do that. I, I want to beat the Ender Dragon. That's my goal. Or your goal is, well, I just want to find Diamond. Or your goal is, call me Kevin. I'm going to just survive inside one chunk. Or I'm going to survive without crafting. Or I'm going to survive without mining. Or, or you, whatever goal you want to set for yourself. And I find that Games like that I tend to struggle with if I'm not given really set progression. But for some reason, the last few weeks, I didn't want a game telling me what my goal was. I just sort of wanted to dig up a bunch of dirt, mine some rocks, chop down some trees, kidnap a whole bunch of animals and stuff them into a, a tiny hole in the wall, a tiny hole in a, a cliff face. And then build them a giant-ass barn so I don't have to listen to them anymore. And that made me really happy. That does sound very nice. It sounds very Stardew Valley, honestly. Like, the, the farm aspect of it and kind of managing your animals and whatnot. Um, I, you know, I, I am, uh, you know, when you get stuck on an island like that, I, I think I'm just so used to Minecraft speedruns. I'm immediately like, well, your first step is to build a boat, right? You get the wooden planks, you get on a boat, you go to wherever you've got more resources to draw onto. But I appreciate that you just kind of did the thing that was calling to you. You had a space that was your own and you made the most of it. And I think, again, the thing that makes Minecraft very cool is that it empowers you to play the way that you want to. Now, it sounds like, with a couple exceptions to perhaps fill your inventory, um, you were probably playing in survival mode. It doesn't sound like this was a hardcore run, and it doesn't sound like this was a full creative run. No, yeah, um, I, I definitely was just playing in survival mode, and, and like I said, there were a couple of times where I, I popped into the command console and gave myself, you know, items that I probably would have had access to, or, or it, like... In that instance, like, like, I have a bunch of pigs, but I can't do anything with them if I don't have carrots. So you know what? I'll give myself a couple of starter carrots, and then we'll go from there. Because why do you want to punish yourself in something that's supposed to be creative? Like, I totally understand. I, I'm thinking of the Lego movie, and I'm totally understanding Will Ferrell's character in the Lego movie about, like... While I'm building the Death Star, the blocks have to be gray. But, like, at the end of the day, who fucking cares? Like, do you really care about it being perfect? Or do you care about having fun? 
And I'm not speed running this. I'm not making some video content where I'm like, I'm only gonna, you know, I'm only gonna live in one chunk. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm literally playing a sandbox game that allows you to do whatever you want within the systems. And people have modded to infinity and beyond. Like, give yourself fucking 16 carats. Who cares? It, it doesn't lose you the game. Give yourself 100 diamonds. Who fucking cares? Like, you can't lose at Minecraft. There, there's no way to lose at this. Because even if you die, you just respawn and all your items are there lying on the ground. You just have to go get them. And even then, fuck it. You don't have to go get them. Just give yourself another diamond pickaxe. Who cares? And it's fun. And that's what video games are supposed to be. They're supposed to be fun. And it was nice to remind myself that I was capable of creating my own fun. Well, that's awesome, man. You know, I, I really love the way you put that. Like, does it need to be perfect? Or is it more important that it's yours? You know, is it that this is the thing that you put together the way that you wanted to put it together? Because ultimately, that's the only thing that matters. It's not a game that's about you know, proving yourself or, you know, upgrading your rank or whatever else. It's a game in which you make things that make you happy. Um, and that's a very cool thing for a game to aspire to. I, I, I am curious, because you said you played most of your game time was, like, back in 2012, where, like, that would put you at, like, the first four updates of the game. There have been quite a few updates since then. Are there any features that have been added to the game where you saw them and were like, I can't believe I ever played this game without this thing. Like this new animal or this new mechanic, this new building material. Like, wow, this really uh, allowed me to do a thing that feels so like like it like it could have or should have been there all along. Um, I'm I'm gonna say no because I think part of my experience has been like I said, I kept myself on this one little island and just kind of interacted with that and the materials and everything that I can get that. I specifically remember why I stopped playing Minecraft. And it was because this this mod that I had, this, you know, factory-esque mod. And I know if you, like, Google, like, top 10 Minecraft mods, it's, like, one of them. I have it downloaded right now. And if I just, like, click clicked on a few things, I could literally open it and tell you what it is. Um, but I remember that that mod was created, and I downloaded it, and I used it, and I had this entire save file that I had been working on for for. For weeks um with it and um i i uh i remember that the mod stopped working because the game had been updated and the mod hadn't been updated yet and i opened my file and everything was broken and I just remember uh, Buildcraft. It's the Buildcraft mod. And I just remember that after that, I was so turned off from the game because I wasn't allowed to play the game how I wanted to anymore. I didn't, at that time, I didn't just want to sit there and have to mine constantly. I wanted to just build. I just wanted the resources in front of me and just build whatever I want. So I had all these contraptions to do all the mining for me. And when that happened, when the patch happened and the, the mod hadn't been updated, 
and they said, you know, there's something in the new patch that is going to take us a really long time to figure out and, and the mod, you know, because there would be patches to the game, you know, the little patches and the mod wouldn't break, wouldn't break, wouldn't break. And then finally, so many of these little patches, it happened that the mod just was broken and it, it wasn't interacting the way it had in the past. And when that happened, I was like, well, then I don't want to play this game because I can't play it the way I wanted to anymore. That the way I had grown accustomed to it, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, it didn't exist. Um, and that's why I think playing it from scratch again, like I didn't, I did I saw I could install that mod right away and I just started, I did to start a save file without it. And I probably will do another save file where I get to use that. And again, reminisce about a different time of me playing Minecraft where, you know, I just let a machine do all the work for me and I'll just build whatever I want. Um, but no, I, I don't feel like I played enough or searched enough to find any of those new features or like I, you know, I didn't try to go to the nether. I didn't try to go fight an ender dragon. I didn't try to go look for any of the dungeons or anything like that. I was just totally content being on this little island by myself, fight off some creepers every once in a while and build a house for my animals and that's that's really all i kind of want to do with it like i'm going to keep playing on that save file i still have to build myself a house but at the end of the day like i just wanted simple and pure and that's what i got a very simple pure minecraft experience that i set my own goals and it made me really really happy that's awesome, man. I'm glad you had a great time. I, you know, I, this would be the time in the, the show where I ask you if you would recommend Minecraft. But that sense is incredibly silly uh, to, to say out loud. Because again, I think if you're listening to a gaming podcast, you understand whether or not Minecraft is for you. So I guess I will reframe to, is there any advice you would give anybody who listens to this part of the episode and says, Ooh, I need to get back into Minecraft myself. No, cause it's, it's such an individual experience. It's what you want. And, and don't forget that it's literally what you want. Why do you want to play Minecraft? Why are you logging into it that day? What do you, what do you want to do? That that's all the advice I can give you is just play it, play it how you want to play it. And when you don't want to play it anymore, close it, move on, do something else, start a different world, you know, whatever. But um, I really, I don't think that there's any necessary advice. I don't think there's any suggestions or anything like that. Like, just play the game, look up mods, do, ultimately it is do whatever the fuck you want because you're kind of allowed to. Um, I had a lot of fun. I was very happy playing this game that kind of just, uh, I decided out of nowhere. Chase, I know you are probably equally, if not more happy with the game that you decided you wanted to talk about this week. And I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on it because I love the Fire Emblem series. So how was yes. Three Hopes, Chase? 
Oh, man, it's fun. Oh, it's so fun. I, I hinted at this in the last episode, how much fun I was having and how I needed more time with it. And I have indeed finished the Azure Gleam run, as they put it in this game, the Blue Lions run. Uh, and fun fact, I am now uh, at least a third of the way through the Black Eagles run in a new game plus, which I will get to in a bit. But to catch people up, those of you who don't know Three Hopes, Three Hopes is the uh, Mozu sequel to Fire Emblem Three Houses. Uh, Mozu games, for those of you who don't know, those are your Warriors games. Dynasty Warriors is the most famous example in the series, uh, but you've also had Fire Emblem Warriors or Hyrule Warriors on the Switch. Um, there are games in which, they're, they're one of the few games in this world in which you can kill a thousand people in five minutes. Like, it, it's just you on a battlefield with this massive scale of enemies and you are playing the anime protagonist that can take them all on. You are a one person army except in this game there's four of you you're a four person army that you can constantly switch between uh, as you try to navigate the battlefield take down enemy strongholds take down the big bosses achieve whatever side objectives that map has to offer and ultimately try to accomplish whatever your house's goal is i was the blue lions run so of course they were very much about uh defending the continent from edelgard in the uh, Black Eagles, the, the Adrestian Empire, who uh, was making a big push to take out the church once and for all. Which, of course, if you are, uh, you know, a, a Holy Kingdom of Fargus fan, uh, you, can't, you can't let that happen. It's the Holy Kingdom of Fargus. Remove the church and you're just the Kingdom of Fargus. And how are you going to rule over a nation if you don't have the divine right of kings to fall back on, Walter? Um, and if that sounds a little bit sketchy to you, it is. But the, the, the Blue Lions, they're all as wonderful as they've been in this game, uh, in, in the previous game. And I, I guess that's like, there's so many places I could start with this, right? I could start with the gameplay, which is super tight and fun. But if you've played a Warriors game, you kind of already know most of it. The big additions are things that came over from the Fire Emblem series, the kind of combat art system in which you get these kind of special moves that you have a certain amount of uh, energy for, kind of like PP in a Pokemon game. Um, and you have to kind of uh, manage when you want to use them in order to get the most effect. And uh, it brings the weapons triangle, this idea that certain types of units are strong against other types. So you really need to like Think about your positioning on the map and how you can get certain generals to the right bases where they'll be the most effective and making sure that you avoid places in which the enemy has an advantage over you because you can start racking up damage really quickly. And because this is a Fire Emblem game, if you're playing it on classic mode, which is the way I will always play these games, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but Fire Emblem, like one of the big hooks is that if your character dies, they're gone. They are dead. It is over. So you have to really think about what you're doing and really plan your moves. And it, it creates this kind of tension to all of these battles that could be really exciting and, and really keep you engaged, uh, despite the fact that your character is so much stronger than most of the characters you're going to run into on the battlefield. There's a real, you know, being able to manage your resources, manage your health, manage your super moves, of which you have multiple types of super moves. You have your uh, combos if you knock out all the armor off of an enemy unit. Uh, that you can get like a, a super attack that 
uh, hits everyone in the surrounding area. You can charge up what's called your warrior gauge, which gives you a super move that is uh, specific to the character that you are playing. Uh, and then you have this like awakened mode in which you basically go super sane. You start glowing and you're super powerful and you get a finishing move at the end when it's all done. So the gameplay is super tight and it takes a lot of elements from three houses. And I know for a lot of people that's not going to be enough because Fire Emblem is historically a turn-based strategy game and what I have described is not a turn-based strategy game. But I will say that having stuck around with this game more than any of the other Mosu games I've played in the past, I do think that it is, at least in the right genre of games for a Fire Emblem series, because it is very strategic. You have to be very careful in what fights you pick and how you, you know, manipulate the map and, and how you choose to use your units and the resources that they have there's a lot of strategy to it, a lot of depth in your decision-making, especially at the higher levels of difficulty. And so it felt like I was navigating a battlefield on an even grander scale than you get in the turn-based uh, you know, kind of gameplay of the traditional series. And so, I don't know, I, I ended up loving it. Um, and if you're the kind of person that likes Fire Emblem, uh, but you're not sure whether that gameplay style is going to work for you. Good news. The demo is free. You can find out for yourself. Um, I, should, should I jump into what makes uh, the characters and all the other out non-combat things so wonderful? I, I, I could ramble for 30 minutes straight, so I need to make sure I leave pauses in for you in case you have anything you want to add. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say I know a lot about Fire Emblem. Um, I, I have not played more of the recent games, but I, I understand the appeal. I understand the Fire Emblem part of it. I guess to me, talk more about the Warriors part of thing, a part of it, because I know almost nothing about Dynasty Warriors other than it is this like giant hack and slash combat that you move across these battlefields. Like what, what does it being a Dynasty Warrior-style game really do to break up the, I guess, the, the RPG turn-based Fire Emblem style. Yeah, so the first thing it does is it makes all of your classes feel a lot more dynamic, right? I think that in a turn-based strategy setting, you'll have the flavor of the different classes, right? Like a bow knight obviously feels different from a dark knight because one of them is using a bow and arrow and one of them is using dark magic. But as far as how they navigate around the map, right? You're on a caval you're you're a cavalry unit. You have an attack you're going to do every turn. There are certain things that kind of because you're from that top-down perspective and because after a certain point in time you're probably not watching every battle animation so closely because you'll be there forever. Um you don't necessarily get to appreciate the nuances. Uh, and there are a lot of classes that, you know, can allow you to use multiple different weapon types. And so those kind of differences break down more and more. And it really comes down to these kind of passive bonuses you have. In this game, the passive bonuses are specific to your character. And there's more of them than in the original game. You have one for just being your character. You have one for taking an, an active uh, role in trying to attack a an enemy stronghold, which are these kind of sections on the map that are 
held by an enemy stronghold captain that you get to claim if you defeat them. Um, you have, uh, you, you have, uh, so many different <laughs> bases and things along the way that are constantly spawning enemy units and you have to kill a bunch of enemy units in order to get the highest rank, um, because you are graded on each mission and to get an S rank requires you to finish it in a certain amount of time, uh, having taken, uh, less than a certain amount of damage and having killed a certain number of enemies in order to get all three of those uh, ranks in the right spot. Um, but whether, however you're using these characters, they all feel very different because you're not just, you know, watching them pull back a bow once. You're seeing, a, a, you know, uh, like in, in the Blue Lions run, right? You're watching Ash, like, lay out, you know, dozens upon dozens of arrows, 800 hits on enemies in a minute, just constantly firing, you know, pulling back and firing around like three arrows at once, and your super moves start to uh, take less and less resources, so you can kind of spam them all of the time, um, which does feel different. Every class kind of has a, a different speed at which abilities recharge, so some of them are relying more on their typical hits, and some of them are much more reliant on their combat arts in order to do more damage. Uh, and because the classes are a lot more restricted, you can't use more than one type of weapon per unit. So you really are forced to think about, well, given this large cast of characters that I have, what are the things that are missing? What are the things that I could have them do that nobody else is doing? And the game rewards you for that. Annette is a perfect example. You know, I, I never messed around with the uh, axe that is tied specifically to Annette's character. Uh, Annette, of course, being this kind of uh, younger mage type who's like a you know great student, but is you know she's pretty small. She's not you know someone that would jump out to you as a warrior, but she has this fancy axe that runs in her family. And in Three Houses, I just never bothered. It never seemed like it was worth the time. But in Three Hopes, I absolutely had the time. And I ended up getting this, this item going because I already had so many mages on my team. I didn't have a lot of axe people. I only had the one, and that was to do. So having that second axe really helped flesh out my strategies on certain maps. And, you know, which units I picked were much more customized on each individual mission because I really had to make sure. I, I couldn't have a backup plan. I couldn't switch weapons if an enemy unit came towards me that was really strong against my unit. I had to find a way around that. Um, and, and there is just a lot of like, you know, building up these combos. There's a lot of momentum to it. The, the higher your combo count goes, uh, which again, hitting 800, 1,000, even 2,000 hits is something that can happen regularly if you know what you're doing and level up your character enough that they can kind of keep the, the combos going a little bit longer. Um, and the more you get, the more damage that you deal. And so you can... You know, if you time your path around the map properly so that you're always hitting something in order to keep that going, you can build this massive pile of damage that will just take down enemies in one hit. And it's so satisfying when you pull it off. Um, so there's just a lot that, like, if you are a hack and slash fan, it adds a lot of strategy elements that make it feel less like you're just mashing buttons in order to make the enemy fall down, and much more like you are trying to maximize the effectiveness of every unit you have in your arsenal 
in order to win this war on this larger stage. Um, and, and there is a like strategy map as you're going through within each chapter, rather than just hanging out at the academy and then being told to go and do a mission every once in a while, you have a map that you can navigate and you can choose how many side missions you want to take on and, and what you, you know, if you don't engage in as many missions, you get fewer resources, but you do get renown, which can be used to buy really fancy exclusive weapons. Um, so there's a really interesting trade-off and it definitely feels much more like you are part of a set of commanders waging a war rather than a small team of friends engaging in skirmishes that eventually lead to a, a larger win. Um, and that sense of scale is something that only a warrior's game can really capture. Because again, 1,500 enemies killed in 10 minutes is very easy to do. Gotcha. So I definitely, again, like I said, from, from the little I know about the war, the Warriors series, it does seem like it captures that sort of frenetic combat style, and it really rewards you for not just button mashing, but but doing it in the right way. So and pausing too, because I, 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 if you if you're not familiar with the series, you might not be aware that you're constantly pausing as soon as one of your commanders has finished the mission that they have to give them their next order. So you're very much kind of like a floor general in basketball, right? You're calling plays for the other characters that you're not managing at that time to run. And so what you can do if you really want to like maximize your efficiency is get all of your characters into these like important locations and then take one out, pause, give the character you were just controlling a new command, immediately switch to a different character who's already at the important location, take that location with them, and you can start really chaining these big moments. It really, the more you're willing to micromanage and engage with that style of it too, the more you get out of it. And I think that makes it very different from just a standard hack and slash. Okay. That, as someone who doesn't know much about the Dynasty Warriors series, that adds a level of nuance and a level of fun to it that that like keeps the action going so that's the dynasty warrior side of things now why is this a good fire emblem game so this is where i i have uh i guess maybe a caveat um and and the way i would put it is this a a fire emblem game it's hard to say it depends on how broad you want to go with strategy because again if you're someone who just likes turn-based content and all of the uh other details about the individual characters in the world you're in are window dressing then none of what i'm about to talk about really matters to you like sure the weapon system works the way that you're used to in fire emblem where you're constantly as you're leveling up getting access to um better weaponry uh, and better battalions that can help supplement what you're already doing and give you more advantages against certain types of units. Uh, and you can get better combat arts, you know, better spells, better classes, like all that stuff that you're used to in a Fire Emblem game is there. But the thing that I love about Three Hopes is that more than it is a Fire Emblem game, it is a Three Houses game. It carries over so many of the things that are wonderful about Three Houses. It carries over the support system, uh, which some Fire Emblem games have. It's not the only 
Fire Emblem series that has the, you know, kind of C to A rank supports that you can build with different characters in order to improve their coordination on the battlefield while also getting uh, a bunch of lore and seeing them kind of interact with each other in these one-on-one settings, which can shed so much more light on the characters and their backstory and how they relate to each other, and which is can be really charming and heartwarming and um, really flesh out the world in a way that feels lived in. But it also recognizes that, like, hey, maybe we don't need to have a support scene for every character or every rank within a character's uh, options. Maybe we can just do the number of scenes that tell the story that we want to tell and we can cut out all the filler stuff that got really tedious in the last game. And they do, and it's great. And I would say the support scenes and the writing in general, I would argue, is better in Three Hopes than it is in Three Houses. Three Hopes, for those of you who aren't as aware of like the premise of it, is basically an alternate universe version of the story that you experienced in Three Houses. Um, due to a number of circumstances and details that have changed since the original game, the Academy phase ends much earlier. You are a different protagonist entirely, and in fact the protagonist from the first game, Byleth, is an antagonist for at least a decent chunk of the run, uh, though you do get the chance uh, to determine whether or not you want to recruit them to your side later if you're willing to do some special missions, which is how you get the quote-unquote true ending, though we'll get there. Uh, (laughs) I have a couple asterisks with my beloved, overwhelming recommendation for this game. Um, But, you know, the, like, the, the world is lived in and and it gets to benefit from a lot of the work that they did in three houses because you already do have this kind of baseline understanding of the characters though they do give at least enough details for you to pick uh pick up and follow along if you didn't play that game uh but it's so much more focused it has such a a clearer vision of the story it wants to tell because it is focused on the best part of that game which is the post-academy phase part, the part where you're actually in a war. Uh, and, you know, the circumstances of the war are a little bit different, uh, and it's a different timeline. It's two years after rather than five, but it is absolutely... There are enough beats that kind of... I guess they rhyme, or they echo rather than repeat. Uh, so you can feel rewarded for having paid attention to the previous games, not because everything is exactly the way you remember, but because the things that are different are fascinating. And in my opinion, those changes hit a lot more often than they miss. And by cutting out the filler, you get a, you get to really the heart of the story. The things that are the most compelling parts of these character interactions are the things that are being focused on. And perhaps the best part of all, your protagonist has a personality. Like, Byleth and Three Houses is just an empty surrogate character for the player. They have no voice lines, and it's kind of written off why they don't have any uh, voice lines. But outside of an occasional option here and there, uh, you don't really get a sense of who they are as a person. And a lot of those options just kind of get overridden anyway, so it doesn't matter. Whereas Shez, the protagonist of this game, they're a character. They're a mercenary with a backstory, and they, they have an opinion on things. And you can choose like which aspects of their character to highlight, but it is a character. You don't get to just 
like like they are a fully fleshed out person and as a result their insights on how all these other characters are interacting with each other are a lot more interesting and oh by the way byleth gets a personality too this time around it's not as much of one as maybe some of the other characters but byleth has always been like we we went from no personality to a quieter personality which is still a personality um you know, I could get lost in the nuance of like which characters were better in this game than they were in the last game and which characters are maybe slightly weaker or whatnot. Um, the answer, of course, to me is that most of them are wonderful uh, and some of them did get some really nice glow ups. Uh, Balthus's outfit is so much better in this game than the post time skip, uh, which is great for me because he's one of my favorite characters and it was a real bummer to have to look at his atrocious outfit from Three Houses after the time skip. And it's also just great that you get all of the Abyss characters in this game. Like, you just get access to um, what was previously just DLC. And the the way that they flesh out the world is really nice and really well executed. Um, and, and there's so many things. Just going, you know, having a base camp again and going around and talking to everybody in between missions so you can get a sense of where their head's at, what's on their mind and what they're thinking about and, and the concerns that they have, the hopes and the fears. And, you know, especially as you start recruiting units from enemy armies and you deal with the fact that they feel guilty that they've joined you, that they feel like they let down their friends, that they're struggling with this war and what it means for them and the role they'll have left if your side ends up winning this whole thing, having to face the people that they were once close with. It wrestles with that in a way that I don't feel like Three Houses ever fully did because of the way that they organized their scenes. So there's just... If you were a Three Houses fan, if you cared about that world and you wanted to see certain aspects of it fleshed out more, uh, certain characters continue to be expanded upon and just feel rewarded for the investment you put in from a narrative perspective. This game just has so much to offer, and it's really, really nice to get to go back to these characters and and have this great quality of writing that a lot of Warrior games just don't have. The reason so many Mosu games have bounced off of me in the past is because they are over-the-top, hyperbolic, just kind of crazy and zany. They're not grounded. They don't feel real. They feel like, you know, some sort of, like, fan fiction. Like, this, the self-insert characters bouncing around all of these larger-than-life characters from these previous games. And, like, fine, whatever. But the thing I loved about Three Houses was the story and was the, the characters that inhabited the world. And both of those things are as good, if not better here, than they were there. So if you like Three Houses, you're going to have a lot to love about this game. So with all that being said, you have hinted at some grievances that you have with it. So before I get to my last question, air those out. What, what are some of the issues that you have? So there are a couple things. Um, one, the game fundamentally does not have a way of fully retconning uh, one of the aspects of the previous game. Uh, those who slither in the dark, who are kind of this, the secret big bats, they're, they're handled better in this game than they were in the last game. 
but there are certain elements of their characterization and what you learn about the world that still feels a little bit rough. It's better they did what they could, but if that bothered you before, it's going to continue to bother you. I, I think the biggest problem at the end of the day is that the ending of the run was just not as satisfying as it could have been. Uh, I, I finished the Blue Lions run, and it was a great final mission. I really enjoyed it, but it, it just kind of ends. It doesn't give you the satisfaction that the first game had of like, you've won the war, it's over, now you're victorious. It's, you know, and now the war continues, and it, it doesn't, the game ends. Um, which is a problem that Three Houses had as well, but in the opposite direction. In, in Three Houses, the Blue Lions run was unsatisfying because it had a thematic conclusion that left a big kind of specter hanging over everything. In the Azure Gleam run in Three Hopes, you deal with that giant specter overshadowing everything. But that practical end to the war, that kind of like conclusion, I guess, to what's being done isn't there. Uh, to the extent that I wonder if it's going to be added back as DLC down the line, which would be a real bummer. I don't like when like endings for games narratively get portioned off as DLC or whatnot. So I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I kind of want it to be there because I feel like there's more to explore. And I kind of hope that it's not. Um, but, you know, and, and there's some things like when you play the first run, uh, there are some missions that'll start to feel a little bit grindy, a little bit samey if you want to get all of the resources. Um, and there's one thing that this series could really just stop doing, if you wouldn't mind, Fire Emblem developers. Stop time-gating support scenes and telling me that because... I didn't get to a support scene fast enough without any warning that it was time-gated in the first place. I had no way of knowing I needed to rush that thing. Now I can't see it anymore. Who cares if I experience it later? I'll be able through context clues to figure out when that conversation was meant to happen. Or you could even have just a thing that says like two months ago or whatever. Who cares? Why are you preventing me from seeing this thing that I've absolutely earned the right to see? It's silly. And, and, you know, some people will say that the, the resource management takes more time than it needs to, and that's true, though this game does give you an option to streamline certain things if you don't want to get lost in the weapons management or in, uh, in all of the different upgrades for your character. And yes, there is a bit of a pacing thing where you'll have a lot of gameplay, and then you'll finish a chapter, go around camp, do the things you can do around camp, and suddenly you have a bunch of support scenes and you just kind of have to stop and watch, you know, essentially like 10 different five minute scenes play out. And some people will say that that pacing can kind of um, maybe throw you off, lose some momentum or whatnot. I, I don't care, man. I really don't. Um, because the, the stuff that you get is really good because the gameplay, even if it gets a little bit repetitive at certain points is quite strong. And oh, by the way, 
New Game Plus is fucking fantastic. Oh my god, this is the best New Game Plus of any video game I've ever played. Because it gives you an item called the Vanguard Whistle, and you can just capture one of those territories. Instead of playing out the mission that's just a grindy whatever, because you really don't need the resources at this point, you're just like, bam, I did it. I had the resources to do it because I've earned the resources from playing this game already. I just get the thing and I can move on to the part that matters to me. I can play exactly as much of this game as I want to play, which allows you to breeze through so much more quickly on the second and third runs to get that next bit of the story. And I guess that's the magic trick that this game ultimately pulls, is in the same way that I could watch a Marvel film and feel like, oh, I didn't enjoy that Marvel film, but then I see a post credit scene and it's like, ooh, but I do want to see that though. That's very exciting to me. This game, it's almost like the reverse of it where I'm really enjoying my time. I got to the ending and I was like, man, that wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. But you know how I could find out more about the world? You know how I can get some of the answers to the questions that I didn't get a chance to solve in this run? I can go play one of the other runs. Because the way that this story is divvied out, you need to play all of them to get the full view of everything that has happened here. And there's so much more to immediately delve back into that I just, it, it, it didn't really bother me. I had a moment where I'm like, man, I think that could have been sharper. And then I immediately jumped into the Scarlet Blaze run and I was having a blast all over again with characters that I hadn't gotten a chance to play with in the previous run. And it saved everything. It saved all my weapons. It saved all my experience. It saved all of my support scenes. It didn't even like set me back to the most recent letter grade I achieved. It saved everything. Incredible. Really well done. Really well organized. The ability to replay missions whenever you want to try to get all S ranks for people that are trying to be perfectionist. Like, I don't know, man. It's a really satisfying game. It really rewards you for everything you put into it. And if you like this world at all, if you like these characters at all, if you like this kind of gameplay at all, there's just so much to love. I think there's like two trains of thought when it comes to New Game Plus, where it is the, hey, we're going to restart you at the very beginning with absolutely nothing, but now because you know the paths, you can choose a different way to get to the ending and you've unlocked secret endings or there's a, a separate story path or there's different choices or anything like that. And then there's the one where it's like, okay, we're going to give you everything that you've unlocked back at the beginning. And we're just going to let you run through the game. And again, added story stuff or whatever, but there is that difference of we give you everything or we give you nothing. And I do feel like for a game like this, it feels it would feel unsatisfying if they took away all the tools and were like, cool, start at the beginning again after you just spent, I don't know, 40, 50 hours, you know, maxing everything out. And by the end, you get used to everything. It's sort of like when you play like you're a one trick, uh, one trick in League of Legends and you've just spent like 45 minutes and you're playing Master Yi and you're going absolutely wild at the end. And then you start a new game and you're like, crap. Now I'm I'm weak and I got to start over. So I definitely think for this game style that they absolutely needed to just give you all the tools after you beat it once and said, go nuts, have fun, you know, play the other stories, but you, you've got everything. Good luck to you. Chase, my, my final question really comes down to is like I said, I'm a fan of Fire Emblem, but I have not played them in a very, 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 very long time. 
with both the with both um, with three hopes and three houses having come out over the last few years, if you were someone who liked the series, you know, liked Fire Emblem as a property, and wanted to get back into it, which of the two would you suggest? If you're coming at it from a Fire Emblem fan perspective, I start with Three Houses. Because Three Houses is the game that sets up this world, that introduces you to all of these characters. And whatever pacing criticisms I can make, uh, whatever you know quibbles I could have about um, you know some scenes being filler or whatever else, the thing that makes Three Hopes great is that it trusts you to come along for the ride and rewards you for having already been invested. And while I'm sure that you could play Three Hopes without having played Three Houses and still get a lot out of it, you would miss some of the fun moments where, like, you know, you'll have a character um, that'll come up to you and ask you about a thing, saying that they can relate to, like, this weird power that you don't understand. And your character will be like, what? It's not like you have some secret power that you're hiding from everyone, right? And it's like... Well, I mean, I know that she does because I played Three Houses, but, you know, it's a kind of like a wink to the audience thing that I got to appreciate that would be missing if you hadn't played Three Houses. And Three Houses is the more traditional Fire Emblem gameplay. If you really like turn-based con- uh, combat, you're going to get a lot out of that in a way that with Three Hopes, it is a very different style of game, and it's a style of game that bounces off of certain people. You know, it's not a game that is for everyone because it is such that weird mix of fast paced action and then pausing everything in order to do the strategy bits that you need to do before getting back into the fast paced action. But the thing is that both of them are amazing and I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of why. Um, I, cause I'm, I alluded previously about like the blue lions and how there are flaws in their philosophy. And one of the things that's amazing about going back into the, the Scarlet Blaze run, the, the Adrestian Empire, and seeing the other side of that war, is you get the sense of these two leaders and this really interesting philosophical question the game throws your way. You know, Edelgard is someone who fights for a cause that she believes in more than anything. And that cause is something that the average person is going to have a lot of empathy for. It is about freedom and equality from a system of oppression and a, a ruling class that has constantly kept the commoners down. It is a desire for a society in which anyone can succeed based on their own merits. It's a goal worth striving towards. Uh, you know, religious freedom in a way that just simply isn't there in the world as it stands. But the way she goes about doing it is incredibly cutthroat. She is constantly going behind characters' backs. She's constantly lying to people in order to get her way, manipulating things behind the scenes she is willing to do whatever it takes to win, including some things that are just really hard to justify on a moral perspective. Invading a sovereign nation that isn't really involved in everything because you realize that for your vision to work, you need to have the entire world under your boot. And you have, that, you have to ask yourself that question of, like, is that worth it? Um, and in the meantime, you have Dimitri, who's the leader of the, the Blue Lions and the, the Holy Kingdom, and he is a very empathetic character. He cares a lot about the people around him. He would never dream of lying to his friends. He is someone who you can immediately empathize with the pain that he is going through. Sure, 
his PTSD is allowing him to say some things that are kind of fucking batshit if you uh, pay too close attention to them. But he's suffering because he cares a lot about helping the people around him, and he feels very bad about the things that he is doing. But the thing that he is doing is upholding a status quo that is bad for a lot of people. He recognizes that the kinds of systemic changes that Edelgard is fighting for are things that would be good for society, but for his own selfish reasons, because he believes that you know such change would be too radical, too much, too quickly. I'm sure, Walter, you, you have no uh, way of, uh, of envisioning a political party that perhaps... Um, focuses so much on wanting to do things gradually that they miss the opportunity to uh, make widespread changes that would improve the lives of everyone around them because they're afraid of what would happen to their own power if they were to do so. I'm sure that is far away from anything that we are experiencing in our day-to-day. But that is like, it's this brilliant question. Who, who would you rather side with? The leader that is going to do some really questionable shit, but is ultimately pushing for a cause that you can really get behind? Or the leader who is very empathetic, very kind, very honest, and is doing so at the behest of a system that is oppressing people? And under the idea that people just aren't ready for radical change. And if that dynamic seems super interesting to follow on both sides of the coin... You're going to get it in both games, but you get it a little bit better in Three Hopes because Three Hopes spends more time on the characters at that point in their lives and it cuts almost immediately to it such that you really get to live with that and see the war as it progresses and see how these ideologies have their pros and cons and the flaws that inevitably pop up and, and your own reflection on how your actions have shaped the world in that way. And that's just really fucking cool, man. I don't know. I think this whole Fire Emblem series is pretty good. I think there's a lot to enjoy. Um, and I, I recommend playing both, if if I haven't been clear enough. I, I think Three Hopes is incredible. Of the two games, I think it's my favorite of the two. But the answer is to play both. And the answer is probably to play Three Houses first, because Three Hopes really benefits from having played Three Houses before. But the answers play both. They're both amazing games. Fire Emblem is very good at having you sort of question the intentions of your of your heroes. Uh, you know, whether you choose Edelgard or whatnot. So, yeah, I think I know which house I would probably, uh, I'd probably go with. I'm, I'm not surprised, given what you have informed me of the game and what I have seen from from other people so i'm i'm very glad that you had such a good time i know that this was a game that you were really really excited about and uh i look forward to uh you know among us hearing about your your other playthroughs as you as you finish the the second playthrough you're on now and when you finally get to the third playthrough with the third house yeah i i I will say I am fascinated to see what the Golden Deer run looks like because in three houses, they were the house that kind of put together the puzzle pieces that uh, the other two runs couldn't because those two were so focused on beating each other that they couldn't see this other part of the picture that is very important to understanding the world as a whole. 
But now that you do get that part of the picture in these other runs, I don't really know what they're doing here. So I'm very interested to find out. I'm very interested to see how that plays. I'm going to keep playing it. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get away with doing another episode on it because I already went well over our typical time in order to rant about how much I love it. But I will continue to play it. And if you want to hear all of my thoughts on it as I continue, uh, you can follow me at Chase Wassner on Twitter. Uh, Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Listen, I spent 30 minutes talking about Minecraft in the year of our Lord 2022. I, I think this was I think this was a good episode, and I think it was well worth the extra length. Uh, if you disagree with me, or if you uh, want to show me your Minecraft creations, uh, you can find me at C80s underscore LOL. As always, you can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the podcast feed, but uh, if you listen to to, uh, last week's episode of Final Cut. Uh, we talked about Moana to start it, and then we talked about uh, The Last Duel, and uh, surprised the guests by saying that we were going to watch Toy Story 4 uh, for the next episode that's coming out next Monday, because Final Cut and... Uh, and uh, Steam Cleaners here. We alternate which weeks we do them. And uh, if you want to catch all of it, you can follow the Rough Drafts podcast feed uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you only want the gaming or only want the movies, you can grab the uh, individual feeds themselves. Yes, absolutely. And we do hope you come back next week for Toy Story 4. We hope you come back in two weeks for the next episode of Steam Cleaners where we will be talking about two entirely different games. And until then, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>